Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams, niche nonsense, or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Can you do me a couple of ones in a chance, Fag machine takes once, don't it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. No point doing that. Give him the tenner back, right? You give him the fiver and the fifty, right? Give him that back. So you take that and you just give him the free ones. Right? Give him the free ones, that's it. Now you give him thirty, right? You give him the ten bob back and you owe him, if I'm right, twenty-two pence. <laughs> that's wrong, isn't it? Back by popular demand, Simon Day and Friends Lockdown Show 2, Saturday, July the 4th, 8.30pm. Go to biletto.co.uk, search Simon Day and Friends. Tickets, only £5. Show will be shown on Facebook. Hello and welcome to the Chels. Oh, this is the week when the waiting is nearly over for those that are desperate for football to return. It's countdown time and I wonder how long it will be before we don't try and watch every single match available to view. Are we about to overload on football? A veritable feast gorging ourselves stupid? One man who can answer whether he will be overindulging over the next few weeks, Mr Andy Saunders. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? The waiting is nearly over. I know what we've said over weeks and weeks that, no, it's not right. No, I'm not going to be that excited or interested. But I am actually quite excited. How are you? Well, yeah, quite excited. I, look, I mean, there's two things here. One is whether you think this 
should have happened uh, and whether we, you know, really, if you really thought about it, should have binned off this season uh, completely and concentrated on starting the next season. That's one question, and my views on that are fairly well known. I think we should have avoided the season because it's not the same competition, blah, 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 say the same thing every week. However, I think it would be very difficult if you're a fan of a football club not to get excited when your football club starts playing in a in a competition which is what's going to happen this week so yeah i'm excited i i would agree with you i think you you have actually hit the whole dichotomy on the head there i don't think it should be happening but it is happening so i know how i will feel when i see those boys in blue walking out onto a pitch whether there's people the- there or not did you did you watch any of the german football over the weekend well yes and i was gonna i was gonna I was going to save some of this till till later, but um, now I just want to remind you a few weeks ago, I suggested about, and I think what the point you're going to make about crowd noise and maybe having a sound mixer there making sounds. And you said that was a ridiculous idea, but you've been swayed, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good because I watched the um, I watched RB Leipzig uh, versus some random German team, and I, I watched it just to watch Timo Verma, basically. Um, but they had the crowd noise, and it was good. I mean, I, you know, I'm, listen, I never have a problem holding my hands up and going and saying I've changed my mind, or you know, or I was wrong. Um, and I, I actually think it was pretty well done and added added something to the atmosphere i mean i don't like the idea of it the idea of a sort of fake noise over the top of it i find quite repulsive but the reality of it is it's all right well it's interesting because when when we talked about it i suggested that you had a sound mixer working and you said no that's never going to work i've done a quite bit of research into this now and what they actually do is they have on a lot of the games, they have an OB unit there, and they have a specific sound mixer who's got all the sounds at his fingertips and mixes accordingly. Because when I was watching it, what I found was incredible was when there was a dubious decision, there was suddenly the chant for VAR, and, and everything is timed. So you've got somebody who's really on the case, who's making it atmospheric as possible. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite impressive. And, and when goals were scored and when there were corners or, as you say, when there were bad fouls and there were jeers or slow hand clapping or, you know, that type of stuff, the sort of nuances of it, I thought they did really well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I guess they have to get somebody who, A, understands the game, which which editors, having worked my life with editors, their whole role is to understand what they're looking at. So they understand that... And the same with, with say, a director with an, uh, a concert or a, a football match has to understand that here comes the guitar solo, so let's have the camera on the guitarist. And all the things we take for granted when we're viewing, it's actually quite a complex arrangement to make sure everything's in place. And I think it's the same with the sound mixers they have. I'm sure you'll But get... is it just one person doing it? Because ju- it feels like far too complex a job for one person to be doing that. Uh, no, from what I can gather, it's one person. I mean, it, he, he might have his team with him, and maybe one person is looking after one team, maybe the other person is looking after the other. But from what I can gather, it's one sound mixer. So maybe that's a director um, who would be doing this with vision, but is just doing it with the audio to match the vision. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's one... And is this, are you absolutely sure this is the way it's being done? Because I read somewhere that it was actually the FIFA 
sound technology that was being used on it. You know, the, the, the video game technology that was being used on it. There are several different technologies that are being used. Some of the, right. s- um, there, and there are options to do different audios, I believe, in Germany as well. So, yes, there is the FIFA one, but there is also sound mixers on uh, some of the bigger games. It's, I, it's not happening like that right, on right. all the games. So, yeah, But in principle, all the big games are being given the, the full sound mix treatment, and that's why you're getting audio that is matching exactly pretty much what's going on on, on the pitch. Right. So, okay. Well, interesting. We'll see how it works. Yeah, we, we will. It's, it's, yeah. And how's your week been other than that? I mean, I know we've got football in the background, but you, you've had a pretty busy week. And um, I saw this, um, the, uh, the Great Music Week cover with Tim Burgess of Charlatan's fame about Love Record stores. Now, you've been involved in that campaign, haven't you? Yeah, it was one of my, uh, well, I was one of the founders of it back in March where we sat down and thought, what can we do to help independent music retailers, record stores, because they're obviously going to really struggle during the lockdown. They're not going to be able to, to attract any physical footfall. So what can we do? So we came up with this idea of Love Record Stores as a campaign with the idea of helping people migrate online to in other words to shop online with their favorite record stores so it was uh something that we did in conjunction with the record stores how can we do this how can we how can we best do that and we we did most of it on social media using the hashtag love record stores we got really big pop stars like Elton John to record messages of support we got actors like Martin Freeman to talk about how important record stores were to them and we've now got this event happening this coming Saturday, June the 20th, uh, which is a 24-hour event, which uh, is twofold. One, it's you, you can um, purchase over 100 specially released vinyl releases, you know, uh, you know, sort of coloured vinyl or, or special editions or reissues. Uh, if you go online to those records, your favourite record store, you can, you, can, you can buy those. A bit like Record Store Day. Um, and then running alongside that is a whole bunch of performances and DJ sets and uh, other activity Q&As and readings from, from musicians and industry figures and various other people, which if you go to loverecordstores.com, you can watch from 7am on Saturday. So yeah, it's been, it's been busy and it's been interesting and it's uh, hopefully going to raise the profile and help bring in some revenue for record stores that are really struggling. Well, I think it's a brilliant initiative and it's something that I, I think is necessary and it sends out a message to, to everybody, you know, okay, we saw all the queues going to Primark and, you know, I saw you were at the front of that one in St Albans. Incredible. Well, you I've missed that. it. I haven't been to Primark <laughs> for three months. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, need to, I need to buy some clothes, Kerry. <laughs> yeah, good quality schmutter, as we would say in the trade. Nothing wrong with Primark, I have to say. No, Primark's there isn't. pretty good. No, it is. It, it just was incredible that the, the sort of almost the um, temperature gauge of what happens is uh first of all it was loo roll at the beginning and then when we're coming out of the full-on lockdown it's primark and everyone queuing up to buy clothes so yeah Yeah. it's It's funny actually because i watched it with a certain amount of distaste those queues and then i thought you know i sort of took a step back and i thought that's what make that's what makes people happy if shopping makes them happy if if that's something they've really missed in lockdown and they've looked forward to it and they want to go out and and do that and that's a release for them then i've got i've got no problem with it really it's easy to kind of sneer at that so i know you're not but i mean it's easy for some people to sneer 
at, at that type of behavior but i just think for some people that that's something that's going to make them really happy so i'm kind of i'm into it as long as they as long as they're sensible about it i mean there were a few you know you did see images of people that weren't social distancing and being silly about it but if people if people are sensible about it and we can and we can do this in a proper way and it makes people happy then i'm cool with it yeah i'd agree with you i think also what this whole period has also taught me is tolerance um and rather uh, you, you mentioned a good word there sneering and maybe in the past i'd have made some derisory comment now i just understand everyone has their own lives that they need to fulfill certain parts of it in certain ways i buy art you know and i for me that's my kind of prime art in fact prime art um in the fact that you know auctions are now happening again i can now bid online i can do things it's been dead for the last three months or whatever and you know i've bought a few pictures this week already and that that is my version of it we all have you don't buy them for pleasure though do you some some i do i collect and i also buy and sell art you know mainly 20th century you're not just some mad billionaire sitting there binning on monets i mean you're (laughs) this is your job isn't it you should explain that it's not like you're you, you're so rich that you can just sit there and bid on art all day no in fact i'm so broke because i buy art um <laughs> that, that's the thing i buy way more than i sell um the idea is i like collecting art but i also um have worked on various projects through my life uh putting art into various places and into people's collections. And uh, it's something I've, I've always done. It's always sort of um, helped me when I'm creating some of my independent projects and funds me to, to go through doing what I want to do rather than having to, to work out a way to make that project pay immediately. So, yeah, it's been... Yeah. Uh, and, and it is. makes you happy. Yeah, it does. It, and, and for me, as, as Jackie, my wife, says, I am one of those strange people that I just love shopping. I don't care what it's for. If I've got a mission and a task, I'll go out and do the shopping because I just enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's just one of I those... I edit that. So it just says, my wife, Jackie, says I'm one of those strange people and leave it there. <laughs> well, you can anyway. Anyway, my wife, Jackie, does say I'm one of those strange people. And moving on. Yeah. I'm not a big shopping fan, I have to say. I'm not a big shopping fan. I, I, I don't, I, shopping is just a means to an end. I don't, I don't derive a huge amount of pleasure out of shopping. You know, I mean, it's, but, but I think it's really important. I think what, you're quite right, what this lockdown has taught me and hopefully a lot of other people is a level of tolerance. I'm not the most tolerant of people. People know that. Anybody who knows me, follows me on social media knows I'm not particularly tolerant. But even I uh, are going, well... It is difficult. It's difficult if you've got children. It's difficult if you live in a place where, you, you know, it's really small and you haven't got a garden. It's difficult if, you, if you're missing your friends and family. It's difficult if you're a teenager and you're used to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming a lot less intolerant of people, people's struggle with this, you know. And, you know, when I'm seeing teenagers over the local park, you know, sitting around and playing football and not socially distancing, and part of me thinks, oh, for God's sakes, you know, you know, stop being so selfish. But the other part of me thinks it must be so hard, must be so hard if you're 15, 16 years old not to you know, not to see your friends or not to succumb to peer pressure or all of that other stuff as well. I'm not justifying it. I just, I'm, I'm trying to understand the thinking behind it a lot more. Well, you, you're, you're, you're tempering your anger in a way. You're, you're analysing before you decide, right, no, actually, I am angry about this. And that, that can't be a bad thing. I think, I think we can all take something from this whole period and perhaps have learnt something about ourselves that needs 
changing or altering or thinking about, you know, it's been such a reflective time, you know, that everything has been about looking back because there's nothing to look forward to. But you know that next week when we do the podcast on Tuesday, we will, in principle, have a game that's just been to talk about and a game Mm. that's coming up to talk about. And everything will change in that kind of moment for me this, yeah. this... And nobody will have to listen to this self-reflected <laughs> bollocks that we've been talking for the last three months anymore <laughs> no, I, i'm worried talk about football i'm worried people are going to switch off when we go back to football you know so, so yeah. you know I, look. no more no more talking about magpies and sparrowhawks <laughs> don't you believe it they're going to be in for forevermore that that's going to be it well look um you know th- this is the the week that uh, everything's going to come back um before we discuss the football a little bit more i thought it might be quite good to hear from nizar kinsella goal.com's chelsea correspondent as he tells us what his week's been like and what he's looking forward to hi guys this is nizar kinsella goals chelsea correspondent reporting for the chelsea um we're finally back really this is this week is the first that we've been able to build up to a, a game so aston villa away the game that we've waited three months for uh, it's finally on the horizon um, you know it's still at Villa Park but this time without a crowd and um, yeah it's going to be very different for us journalists too uh, we usually have a preview press conference on the Friday around 1pm with Frank Lampard um, and that will now be done online uh, in a virtual space so uh, we'll be doing that asking questions via that and, and providing updates in that way so yeah it kind of keeps everyone safer and gives access and and that's the way it works and then you know on the match day um it's going to be a case of you know we won't get access to the press room facilities as usual we will get access to the games but you know socially distanced seating um and yeah you get your temperature checked on the way in to make sure you've not got the virus so after making that schlep to wherever um, you have to sort of get get checked out and, and yeah, then there'll be a kind of wait period outside and, and that kind of thing. So it's going to be uh, bureaucracy, um, medical attention needed, you know, outside the stadium. But um, yeah, once you're in, at least, at least you know, we're, we're the lucky ones who actually get into the games and, and can watch them. But it's going to be strange, it's going to be different. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be, um, you know, uh, not not what it was, but um, it'll be great to see the Premier League back. Um, of course, you know, the first games aren't Chelsea. The first games on Wednesday, uh, the first two games, and then Chelsea play on the Sunday. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to get back into it, feel feel an unusual atmosphere. Uh, but it's it's just good to have something to work work towards as well because. If you've been following my updates in recent weeks, you know, in lockdown, it's been very much a case of me getting interviews, looking for them, um, maybe the odd bit of news here about transfers, or with Chelsea, a lot of news about transfers, um, and, and yeah, and that kind of thing. So uh, with, with with this over kind of thing, we, we've got games to look forward to, and it's kind of the bread and butter of our work, and it's nice to sort of... You know, not be beholden to what I'm, what I'm able to get in terms of interviews and stuff like that, and and have, you know, something interesting to write about an event that we're all going to tune into, um, and yeah, we're all looking forward to it. So, yeah, that's that's the way it looks for me this week. I've had a week off as well, so I've just been sort of relaxing and getting myself ready for for the big week, and and it's going to be an exciting one. All the best, guys. Stay safe and uh, yeah, enjoy the football. And we're back. 
So there we go. There was Naz talking about. Uh, well, interestingly, he's now knows he now knows that he is going to Villa Park to watch Chelsea. Uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, it, it's it's interesting what he says. It's going to be all sorts of checks, temperature checks on the way in, waiting areas, all those sort of things. Um, I, I guess it must make a difference for a journalist to to report from within the ground. I guess so. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Villa's interesting, isn't it? Because that was the game that we were supposed to play before. Obviously, it's the game we were supposed to play before the um, you know the, the, the lockdown was in, was imposed by the Premier League. Um, and always remember, the Premier League did it before the government advised it. You know, they 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 made a unilateral decision to do that after a couple of players tested positive. Um, so that was, I think, almost three months ago to the day yesterday that that game was supposed to take place and I, I was going to go to that game um uh, what do I feel about about Nizar and journalists going well I, I guess so it's a big stadium if they can social distance effectively and make sure that that um that, that, that the protocols are followed there's no reason why they shouldn't have you know a bunch of journalists in there and I guess it does make a difference yeah and uh, if you had the opportunity would you at this moment in time if somebody said uh, oh Mr Saunders we'd like to go and report for for the Chels would you go if I felt that there was enough thought had gone into things like social distancing and 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 keeping safe yeah of course it's one thing to have 500 people in a stadium that holds 40,000 than to have 40,000 in a stadium that holds 40,000. If you've got 500 people in there and they're properly socially distanced and there are seats between them and there are people wearing masks and there are one-way systems and there are entry, exit, hand sanitizers and all that kind of stuff, I can't, I can't see a problem with it. In the same way as I can't see a problem with going to Sainsbury's or Waitrose or Tesco's or wherever you go for your shopping. Um, you know, if you put the proper protocols in place, it's fine. The problem is when you have mass crowds of tens of thousands all crammed together not wearing masks without social distancing and traveling to the game on public transport that's the problem i i agree um I'm, i actually am really looking forward to hearing from naz next week as to what his experience was like about it and how it worked at, uh, at close quarters I, th- I think that'll be a very interesting uh, listen next week um but your your yeah. point about crowds is interesting because i don't know if you're aware but um you know i'm into tennis but novak djokovic held his own tournament in Serbia this week in Belgrade and he invited players from all over Europe to come and um, got some of the top names like Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev and they all flew in by private jet and he went and met them at the airport and hugged and greeted them uh, and then went to this tournament which was covered on Eurosport um, and I thought oh well it, I wasn't quite sure about this meet and greet stuff um, from people coming from other countries and the stadiums were absolutely packed. Thousands and thousands of people were in there because the Serbian really? government, yeah, the Serbian government said it was all right for them to be there. Hardly any of them had any masks on. It, it was just the strangest thing I've ever seen in, in, in this time. And it just made me realise that I'm glad football, if it is coming back, I'm glad football has done what I think is the socially correct thing in keeping crowds away because that, that just shocked me. Yeah, it's interesting. And you look at the motivations behind why they're doing that. You look at the leaders of those countries. You look at 
what their thinking is is you know i don't want to get into a political conversation but if you look at so-called populist politicians throughout the world whether it's bolsonaro or whether it's the serbian uh, prime minister or or hungary or whoever it is they are taking an interesting and you know somewhat controversial approach to it. it doesn't mean we have to and i think that we're, we're not exactly covering ourselves in glory as a country when it comes to how we're handling this pandemic you know, our death rate, our R rate, uh, you know, is, is amongst the worst in Europe. So I think we have to be really, really careful still, you know, on all levels. You know, my industry, the music industry, you know, the other campaign I'm involved in is Save Our Venues, about music venues and, you know, about how we introduced sensible levels of distancing to make concerts viable again because if you do a two two meter distancing thing in a venue it's not going to work a A, people won't observe it and b the 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 economics don't work to put the shows on so we have to really think through how we're doing that so it's it's a really complex issue and not one you can solve by just letting people into stadiums and seeing what happens no i i totally agree and uh, my point is that i think football across the board in all the different countries where this is going on although in serbia as well they've allowed crowds in to see football matches there as well um i think they they had over 15 or twenty thousand in for a game last week as well so i think if it's coming back we have to keep this this idea of keep the keep the stadiums as empty as possible it until we actually know where we stand with the virus we can't push the boundaries too far i think you know i think we've pushed them quite a long way as it is i I just think we need to be careful and i don't know if you've seen but i think this morning they've just come out with certain directives about um what will be allowed in the games that there'll be no spitting no clearing of noses no surrounding match officials um well it's exactly what's happening in germany isn't it well in a way we we've got germany to thank for being trailblazers Uh, yeah they've really done a lot of interesting things with it and have worked on certain things and there's there's also a, a designated celebration camera for after scoring a goal <laughs> strange i mean i mean one thing i did notice with the german football at the weekend was they were all hugging and kissing each other after goals again there was no touching of elbows there was a lot of um embracing after the game and all that stuff you know so i don't know whether they've relaxed that or whether that's just they've decided that they're going to do that anyway so yeah no it's true um the one thing's that well we'll see how it goes i mean i think that's the key thing isn't it let's let's see how it goes i think it's a very sensible approach to do it in a way that you know that that is a you know wait and see and 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 gradually reintroduce football as we know it i think it's sensible and you know credit to the football authorities for doing it in this way yeah i agree And, and the other figures that are coming out of the german football is that it seems to be that home advantage barely exists injuries are definitely up and the ball is in play more than ever before so we get more football yeah Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly it's 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 a it's a very interesting time and i can't wait and so will you gorge on football will you be going oh my god i'm going to watch as much football as i can are you going to be selective i i think i'll sit down for villa sheffield united going oh yeah here we go and maybe walk off and do something after 20 minutes. I, I don't know. How do you mm. feel? Uh, not particularly interested in Village Sheffield United. I mean, I will watch it, you know, as because as, it's the first one. I think I'll pick and choose in, in the way I do anyway. I mean, I, it, the weekend, I might, I might gorge. I don't know. It depends how I'm feeling. I mean, I'll definitely watch Chelsea and, 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 and probably the, the other big matches that might affect us. 
I'm not particularly interested in the mid-table pointless battles, to be honest. Yeah, and and you get days where there's like four matches in a day, all of which will be available to view. That's the thing. If you've got all the various yeah. platforms, there's no game that can be missed. Yeah. Do th- well, as I say, I mean, you know, I don't want, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in, in games where there is no jeopardy and that don't affect my club. So if I, if I'm, if I've got nothing else to do, I'll watch them, but I'm not going to, to, to make it a point to watch every game. But do you think there is something that will come into football after all of this? Once we get back to normal, do you think it will be so every supporter can see their team in every game they play? Because in Spain, you can watch any game. You have to pay for it, but you can watch any game. There is no game that you cannot see televised. I hope so. I hope so, because we're all watching them on legal feeds anyway. There must be a way that you can do that, that you can create a situation where football fans can watch every game that their team plays. And I think most football fans would pay a reasonable fee to do that, whether it's pay-per-view or subscription. I think most football fans would do that if it was presented in a way that was um, consistent and high quality and added value. I don't see why you wouldn't. And it is, it's really quite a, an extraordinary time we're in because there is this possibility of rethink, reset, everything could go a different way. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to see how it goes because it doesn't make sense to me in this day and age because I think it initially came in because they were worried about people wouldn't actually go to the games themselves. And I think now mm. that we've had so much TV exposure for football, People understand the difference between being at a match as opposed to watching it on TV. And if you've got tickets for your team, you will always want to go and see them in the flesh, won't you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And But the problem is geography prevents a lot of people going to football matches, as does the availability of tickets. So there's always going to be a, a, an audience that, that will watch it online or on screen. Yeah, and uh, but... You know, it's still one of those things. If you can, you will always go and see your team. But uh, well, some some people will carry. Some people will. Not not everybody. No, but I'm I saying mean, if you, you can, if you've we, got the ability and you've got the the finance and you've got not, the, not, the geographical. But not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to necessarily go to football grounds. Some people don't like the idea of standing in in you know slightly aggressive crowds. Some people don't like the idea of taking their kids. Some people just don't like the idea of it. They would prefer to watch it on TV. The assumption that everybody wants to see their team live, I don't think is correct. No, I'm probably being a bit flippant. I mean, anyone who wants to go and see their team live will choose that option as opposed to... I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think I think you know, there, there's going to be a there's going to be a set of fans who want to see the team live you're right you know and you and me would be among them uh, all i'm saying is that there are quite a lot of armchair fans out there don't care if they go to Stamford bridge or not they just want to watch the football yeah well my point is i think on the whole i think we're talking slightly at cross purposes yeah, we but are. yes I, yeah. I think i understand what I, you know and i think we're in agreement but uh, i understand i understand what you're saying yeah. i think it's important i think it's important the tv companies know that making every game available isn't going to affect live attendances. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. There will always be enough yeah. people who will choose to go to the yes. game to to not affect the gate. God, we made a meal out of that, didn't we? <laughs> Next week, we will be rabbiting on about... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> something else. Um, <laughs> Actually, we'll be tying ourselves up in knots about something else inconsequential. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we just get on to our football team? Because, of course, they've played two matches since we last chatted. Um, they beat Reading 1-0, thanks to a goal by Pedro, and then hammered QPR by seven goals to one. I'm still annoyed about the one. but know nothing about those games, Kerry. I know nothing about them. Okay. I didn't watch them. I didn't, I didn't read any of the reports. Tell, tell me what they were like. Uh, apparently, Reading... Pretty much everyone got a, a run out um, from the whole squad, except I think Batshuayi. Um, oh, that is that significant? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's very significant. I think <laughs> I think Frank really isn't interested in him as a player, and I don't right. think I don't. I really, unless there's major injuries, I don't think you'll see him for the rest of this season. Um, although I was reading a very interesting article that. Um, they are trying to offload him, supposedly, but he's on high wages. And they nearly did a deal with, with Crystal Palace, apparently, but who knows. Um, but then they, they wanted so much. They wanted over £50 million, is supposedly the story. I, I would have thought you'd be very lucky to get half of what we paid for him, which was, what was it, £32 million, something like that? Mm. So, so he's yes. A, he's probably a £20 million pound player. Yeah. On a good day. But, um, yeah, we beat Reading 1-0. Uh, the goal by Pedro was a beautiful goal, a typical Pedro goal. And QPR, well, the the most I, I've, I've found out about this is Ruben scored twice, uh, Billy Gilmore scored twice, Mount scored, William and Giroud. And Pulisic apparently had a very, very good game. Um, okay. So, you know. We can't watch that anywhere, can we? There's no footage. No, there's, there, there's none. I mean, I think there were a few things on Twitter of some of the goals and what have you but the the great thing to take out of that is that Ruben is back playing and Ruben is scoring and apparently is playing very well um, of course it's like pre-season friendlies means nothing until the curtain comes God, up on that Sunday literally means nothing <laughs> no it really does do you remember when Kesman had that amazing pre-season <laughs> <laughs> oh god there we go we should have a great pre-season 11 of the, the players yeah. who look brilliant and then went yeah what the season started uh, but listen it's nice to see it's nice to see Ruben getting out there and, and and playing football you know for one thing you know and let's hope he can get back to some you know level that, that we know he's capable of again it's going to be fascinating how Frank deals with a full squad now because I don't think anyone's injured I think he's got a, a full squad to choose from and he yeah. he will I guess his point will be to the players look you know we're all going to be rotating a lot here because especially once everyone's discovered that there's a lot more injuries say in the German league that will translate over here so he'll be saying you won't be playing the same amount of time necessarily per game some of you that you normally would because we have such a tortuous sort of schedule coming up over the next few weeks because it's every few days I mean it, it's it's incessant yeah. until they get this over and done with so why why are there more injuries in the German league what's the thing why, why is that um, I think the thinking is that they haven't had enough time like you would for a pre-season to get fully fit and ah, also right, being okay. out for three months or whatever it is, is a long time to, I mean, what is it? Normally the summer break is six, seven weeks, isn't it? So right, right, it's right. a really huge elongated amount of time. And the body apparently, I, I just think players can't stay as fit as they should be or would want to be just by doing things at home on exercise yeah. bikes and things. So I think that's, that's the main thought of it. 
So right. you know, but um, but yeah, it's it's going to be uh, fascinating to see how how uh, how he copes with it all because it is a curious time and curious in the fact that we've got very few injuries. Yeah. So we will see what happens. So I have no idea what eleven he'll pick, and we had a go at it last week, and I probably would think we'd would stay the same with it, um, and we'll just see what happens on Sunday when they run out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's exciting. Okay, right. Now, controversial moment of the day. Um, the first question is, Jay Michaels asks, why would we sell Kante? Surely it should be squad players we should be selling. This may be in reference to you asking that question on Twitter. So let me just read the last few months, because this relates to what you said earlier. Your, your tweet this week was, controversial thought of the day. I love N'Golo Kante as a footballer. He's amazing, but he's 30 next March. If there's an opportunity to get big money for him now to invest in younger players i say it's worth considering can i take you back this is my evidence here um can i take you back uh, a number of episodes ago a discussion we had andy the question is where does mason mount fit and who does he displace if he's that important a player as you say he is who does he displace in that midfield me for me it's kante all day long i think andy kante footballer of the year league title winning kante really Kerry, yes, I think for me personally, the problems with the side happened when Kante became fit again. I think we had a fully functional midfield with Jorginho, Kovacic and Mason Mount. And I think since Kante came back, it's caused a bit of an issue and possibly Kante is a red herring in this side. Andy, so Kante goes, you sell Kante, he's a busted flush. Kerry, I think you take the money you can and reinvest. We get very good money for Kante. Andy, I think you're insane. Kerry, I don't think so. Andy, I think you're insane. I think... Pl- <laughs> I, think a- okay, I think we get the point. We get the point. Um, like, I, Three I, yeah, times. I, 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 no, that's fine. That's uh, fine. It's, I, yeah, it's I, just a joke. I totally, no, 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 I know. I know. And, it, and it's perfectly valid, you know, because... The thing is, as I said earlier on, I've got no problem holding my hands up and saying I've changed my mind or or, or I'm wrong or, you know, or, or things are different, you know, and um, I, I don't think it's I don't think you should just dogmatically stick to everything you said. If you, if you change your mind, you should say so. And I think the thing about Kante is that since we had that conversation, I think that he 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 just hasn't been able to kind of recover from the injury situation. He hasn't been able to uh, to, to be Kante properly. So that sort of coloured coloured my views on it a little bit. The other thing is, I think, what I've really noticed since we had that conversation was what Frank Lampard is trying to do with his system. And my issue with Kante is, how does he fit into this system? It's not about Kante the footballer. The, Kante the footballer is astonishing. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. I would go as far to say he's probably the player I've enjoyed watching most over the last three years. But I'm just... Every, every team that I sketch out you know, in my idle moments for how we're going to look when, when the season restarts or, or going forward probably doesn't include Kante in it because I can't see where to put him. I can't see where he fits unless you're going to play a system where he can play the Kante role or the Makaleli role or whatever you want to call it where, he, where he's a holding midfield player. And Frank and, and other managers, you know, at Chelsea don't, don't seem to see him like that. So I think that there are other conversations to be had about other players coming in and and performing a role that Frank wants them to in that midfield. And the other question is, he is 30. And 
if you're going to get big money for a player, big money for a player, I mean, £80 million was mooted uh, as a fee that you could probably get for Kante, um, and then invest that in a Kai Havertz or invest that in another player that could come into the team that's 24, 25 years old, even younger maybe, then I think commercially and pragmatically and creatively and for lots of other reasons, you have to consider it. And all I'm saying is it needs to be considered. I'm not saying you need to do it because if Kante stays, amazing. But, you know, to not consider it, I think would be foolish. Yeah, that is my whole point. I absolutely agree with you. And I think if you play Kante as Kante, fine. Yes, he gets into the team every day of the week for me. But if you're not, I think there are other people who should be in there instead. That, that's all it is. So I totally agree with you. And I get what people are saying that, you know, as J. Michael said, you know, surely it should be squad players we should be selling. Um, yeah, we're I understand selling them that. as well. Yeah, exactly. We're we, going we, to sell, you know, we're selling William. We're going to sell Pedro. We're probably going to sell Ross Barkley. I mean, there's a load of players that are going to be Alonso. There's a load of players that are going to be there on their way out. That's almost a given that those players are going to go. It's what do you do to, to attract big money to fund you know, purchases and also to to create the team that Frank Lampard wants. Now, Frank Lampard turns around and says, Kante's a huge part of my plans going forward. And, you know, we're going to integrate him. We're going to build a midfield around him. Then I 100% back that, 100%. I just don't think that's what he wants. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the one thing as a football fan is the most important person in your squad or with your squad is your manager and how he sees how to utilise them. And it's like we've we've always said, oh, in Jose we trust or in so-and-so we trust. You have to trust the manager. And if the manager decides this is not what I want, then, yeah, you, you let him go with it and you go give him his head and then give him his dues further down the line because it seems like the way Frank is working and just seeing the signings we've already made under him – He's got an idea. He's got a plan. He's, I think he's looking for quite a mobile team as well. Um, not saying that Kante isn't. That's got nothing to do with it. But he's got... But Kante's a, incredibly mobile. Yeah, absolutely. He's just been injured. He's yeah. been injured. And, and so, you know, a lot of it is biased and coloured a little bit by seeing a half-fit, half-paced Kante for the last season. You know, we, we, we have to remember that when Kante is fully fit, he's untouchable. Yeah, I agree. And But my point is that if Frank chooses, you know what? We can get good money for him, and I can go and buy one or two players who I know I'll get five years out of. So we, we just have to go, if that's what he chooses to do, I'll stand by him all day long. And we'll see yep. what Frank makes his mind up over. Right, well, look, Andy, we should go to the break now so um, we can have a bit of a breather and we can have a catch-up. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike 
or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Andy, now this is a tough one for me. I haven't done very well and, and we talked about doing this together, but... Chris Harley, we finally get to his suggested 11, the fat and thin 11. How have you found this, trying to come up with players? Well, I can do, I can do you know, some thin players. I mean, thin players is, is easier than fat players. I mean, it's, it's almost uh, ridiculous to suggest that Premier League or professional footballers, let's call them, are fat I mean, I mean, I, I've got some that I could put forward and reasons why I would put forward them, but they're not fat in the way that you and I are fat. You know, it's uh, it's it's so it, it's interesting. I mean, there are some skinny players out there that you could talk about. So, was the suggestion that we do it as a combined eleven? Yeah, or, or yeah, because right. oh, I think we can do it as a combined eleven. I think that's fine. We can do that. Yeah. Well, I think we all know who's in goal, don't we? We're going to have Fatty Falks in goal, just because yeah. just the, the name suggests that he was quite fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently towards the end of his career, he ended up at 24 stone and he was six foot four. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd, love to see, I'd love to have seen him making flying saves. Apparently Amazing. he was a really good goalkeeper as well. Yeah, apparently so. So, you know, I, who knows? that there, I, I've not found any footage of him, but maybe somebody will point us in the right direction because I'd, I'd just love to see him. Sound, sound, yeah, and he sounds like a character. Yeah, well, Rick, the font of all knowledge. Okay, so who have you got in your defence or p- possible defence sort of um, people that you think might fit into this side? Well, I think in terms of thin in defence, you'd have to put David Lee in. Oh, yeah, good Rogers. call. Yep. Yeah, I think he. I think he's. Uh, you know, he he was lanky to say the least. I always thought Graham Roberts was a bit porky. <laughs> you wouldn't say it to his face, though, would you? Probably wouldn't say it to his face, no. But you know, he was. He wasn't. He wasn't svelte. Was no, he? I, I had him down on my list as well, so I would okay. agree. I, I think um, there were lots of questions about Winston Bahada uh, towards the end of his career, and I, I remember reading a few articles about how he'd really let himself go towards the end of his contract and was actually. Um, ridiculously and embarrassingly chubby. So, although I think during you know his playing you know career, the fact that he sat on his backside and picked up forty grand a week for the entirety of his contract, and just basically by all accounts ate cakes, I think he has to, he has to be in there. And the other person you could say, and this is really controversial, he certainly wasn't fat, but you could say that he was chunky. Was probably Branislav Ivanovic. Yes, uh, okay. But, you know, I mean, obviously a, an athlete and obviously an incredible, you know, just probably ripped and, <laughs> and pumped. But, you know, it's why, this is why it's so difficult. Well, this it's is very, wrong it's on so hard. many levels. It's <laughs> wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you have anybody else in defence? Yeah, I did. I, I, I've written down uh, not fat chunky players <laughs> that's exactly right, what yes, i've written chunky chunky is, is or stocky um gareth hall was quite chunky yeah I, I thought about gareth hall he was chunky you're right yeah yeah um albert ferrer was quite chunky as well so oh yeah, yeah. small small and chunky small and chunky so 
<laughs> the best things come in chunks. Um, so, okay, midfield, how did you get on oh, with well, I mean, one of the obvious ones is Fat Frank Lampard, isn't Fat it? Fat Frank. You know, because, <laughs> because so many of the opposition fans refer to him as Fat Frank. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, he's, you know, he's in ama- he's amazing shape, but the West Ham fans still call him Fat Frank. <laughs> I mean, he did have a bit of puppy fat when he played for them. Um, but I don't think anybody could, could argue that Frank, Frank Lampard is fat. But he's only in there because of his nickname. <laughs> Um, a player that, that you know that did have weight issues was Hazard. Yes, you know, Eden Hazard had had weight issues. Well, he um, still does, and and still does. So I think I think it's it's feasible to put him in there. Um, a, another player at the end of his career that was probably carrying a few more pounds than than you know than, than at his peak was Glenn Hoddle when he played for us. <laughs> he was definitely chunky. That's on the the kind of fat side of things. I mean thin. I've got Nevin, Gilmore, yeah. and Josh McEachran coming yeah. in on the kind of the, the thin side of things. I mean, Josh McEachran was positively urchin-like, and John Harley, as was, as is Billy, as it, and and John Harley. Yeah. See, John Harley, you could have him as a, as left back, couldn't you? Yeah, you could. And you, also, another one that you could have had in midfield, Jody Jody Morris. Jody Morris. Yeah, he always. Yeah, although you could argue he's chunky as well. That's yeah. That's what I mean. He, uh, no, I was going on the chunky side. Oh right, rather than yeah. the thin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it's the thin but Billy line. Gilmore and Josh Mc, Billy Gilmore and Josh McEachern. I mean, they're seven stone wet, aren't they? I mean, they're they're tiny. Yep. Uh, and uh, as is Pat Nevin. So okay. So up front, I picked. Um, well, I picked Ida Good Johnson, who uh, oh chunky. Yeah, he was, and also he seemed to go up and down. We used to call him Ida Good Lunch Son. Because, <laughs> nice. Was that yours? Yeah, that you was that, that was actually someone? mine. That was actually mine. Nice. I tried to make it catch on. It never did. But maybe yeah. today's the day. But have you ever made anything catch on, Kerry? Um, <laughs> I know you try hard sometimes. <laughs> There's a few things, but there you go. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, also chunky Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a unit. Yeah. See, there's the thing. There's, you know, when does somebody stop being chunky and become a unit? Yeah. Like, for example, uh, Romelu Lukaku, who played for us briefly, is a unit, but you would never call him fat, <laughs> no. you know. And, uh, you know, like, for example, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Zuma is a unit, yeah. but he's not fat. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went thin up front, so I went for Kevin McAllister and, uh, and Tor Andre Flo. Yeah, I got Flo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin McAllister, uh, and, skinless, and chunky, comes chunky in again. Front. You'd have to put, you'd have to put Higuain up there. Yeah, you'd yeah. Have to put Gonzalo Higuain. He definitely was on the, you know, on on the slightly chunky side. Yeah, I, I never warmed to him. <laughs> it's funny. Isn't well, he it? was so clearly there for the money, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think he was. He wasn't terrible. He, you know, I just think he was. It was such a classic end of career payday move. Yeah, it's very difficult to warm to players like that, you know, who who you know are only going to be there for one season, who are there, you know, to play a bit part role and are just picking up a check essentially. And you know, if they don't bang in goals, which he didn't, um, he scored a couple. It's very difficult to, to to feel anything really apart from you're doing a job. Yeah, he's not like a George Ware. I loved having George Ware. Well, um, only because he scored against Tottenham on his debut. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> that's enough, isn't it? <laughs> and, I, and he was a Formula Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah, and he was well past his sell-by date, but it really didn't well past bother his me. Date. Is really? he now the president of Liberia now? 
Something like that. Or he was running for it. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Okay. Well, I think unless you've got anyone for the subs bench, we've found a way to muddle through that. But that wasn't actually easy. No. I put Jamal Blackman as the sub goalkeeper. He was, he's unskinny. He's yeah, skinny. he's skinny. Yep, good call. Good call. All right, next question. Dave Eagleton asks, what's the goal you've celebrated the most other than in finals? And I'm tempted to say... But you That's can't easy, the, isn't it? You're going to say Bolton, aren't you? No? No. Okay, no. what are you going to say? say? I'm going to say Torres versus Barcelona in the 92nd minute in the semi-final of the Champions League. I think that goal, I went, I can't remember 10 seconds of that. I celebrated so hard. I think I blacked out during that period. <laughs> it was such an incredible moment to, you know, to, to, uh, to be 2 0 down, to come back to 2 all and to win that game 3 2 on aggregate and get to the Champions League final. And it was Torres. Uh, just oh. astonishing. My runner up was Wayne Bridge versus Arsenal. In the 88th okay. minute in the Champions League quarterfinals, um, um, know, which we, again won three two on aggregate. Okay, um, but no, the Bolton one wasn't in there. The Bolton one, I the Bolton one, I was remarkably calm about. I was, you know, I mean, I celebrated the goal, but I thought we were going to win that game. I genuinely thought we were going to win that game, and you know, yes, it was an important, iconic goal, um, and I celebrated it. But it was the, almost the against all odds nature of the Torres goal that that, that made me go absolutely crazy. All right, well, my goal, uh, and I still remember, I've never been in the Matthew Harding like it was that night, was Frank Lampard against Liverpool in the Champions League quarterfinal 2009. We're trailing 4-3, but we were still in the lead. But the relief and the understanding that we were going to the semis when Frank converted an Elkers pass, it was stupendous. The the place, honestly, it was the most incredible feeling I've ever had with a goal, I think. So, yeah, that was mine. I mean, no, and and that's a a great call because that was such an amazing game. I mean, Ivanovic's goal against Napoli (laughs) went utterly mental for. Hazard's goal against Tottenham to stop them winning the league. I mean, there's been a few. um, But, you know, for me, that Torres goal was was just other different level, different level celebration. (laughs) Almost ran out into the street on that one. (laughs) Have you noticed how these are all evening games as well? Yeah, there's something about that, isn't it? Yeah, Definitely there is something about that. It's something magical, really is. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the goals we've celebrated. Um, now, the the other th- one we're going to talk about is um, Rude Hullet. There was a, an, a a good article in on the BBC website the other week going on about how. He was the forerunner of the way modern Chelsea came into existence. Um, I'd say, actually, Glenn Hoddle was the forerunner who, who made all yeah. of that happen. But Rude Hullet, I mean, he was... It, it, he amplified it. Yeah. Uh, what did you think when, when we actually... You found out Rude Hullet was coming to our place? Did you think amazing, mercenary you or can... did you think, oh, my God, this is amazing? Well, we hadn't had any of that... Bosman type stuff, really not not in any great level. We we weren't used to the concept of mercenaries. All we saw was great players coming to join our pretty average club. You know, much as we loved our club, we were never really in contention for trophies at that point. We certainly weren't in contention for league titles. Um, so so that level of glamour coming to to our 
club it was was quite astonishing i mean he came on a free transfer from sampdoria um and you know his his impact was incredible he's such a charismatic figure as a both a footballer and a person i don't think he could help but to to sort of galvanize what was going on and uh yeah he was uh, he was an, he was an incredible it was an incredible moment in our history having him there Oh, and those... People forget he was the runner-up to Cantona as Footballer of the Year in 1995 as well. He was a beautiful footballer. He made a lot of pretty decent but just normal footballers become extraordinary, I thought, during that period. Um, I think yeah. something happened, and it was a real sighting of what happens when you get players who play at a certain level, what they can do to other players around them who find ways of raising their level to try and get somewhere near his talent. Absolutely. Uh, I, I loved him, and, and those passes, you know, the, the, we hadn't seen passes like 60-yard passes onto somebody's foot. Yeah, just... Well, you we, we forget as well that he started as a defender. He started as a sweeper for us, and then sort of moved into midfield. But yeah, his you know he played. He had his, his he's a very upright player, wasn't he? Just always kept his head up and was looking around, and just was imposing. I mean, he's a physically imposing guy anyway. But he, on the pitch, he just seemed to have acres around him to be able to do what he wanted. Yeah, I loved him. Um, it's a shame it didn't work out for him, really, uh, in on the management side with the way he got on with people. From what you can gather, I love the story, whether it's true or not, that he used to take training from a, a deck chair. Um, yeah. <laughs> just sit and watch it. Because I can kind of imagine it. I have no idea whether it's true, but if it is... Well, you talk about his management, but he did win us our first cup yeah, in, you know, it, in 21 years or whatever it was. Exactly. But, three years. But he... How many years? Oh, 24 years 24 um and yeah. but if you remember he ended up going quite ignominiously didn't he he well he fell out with Bates didn't he yeah he did you know, he fell out with Bates over money essentially and he found Bates, out from Bates. Viali on the golf course or something I think well yeah but that's you know that's Ken Bates wasn't it so, yeah you know falling out with Ken Bates is you know worse people than him have done that so I don't particularly hold that against him I think he was always very ambitious, wasn't he? Yeah, I agree. What was yeah. your favourite goal that he scored? He didn't score that many goals. He no, scored, he I think did. he scored five goals in 50 appearances, didn't he? And there wasn't many. Wasn't there a really scrappy one he Certainly scored? Less than 10. Wasn't there a scrappy one he scored? Was it against Wimbledon in the FA Cup? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, my favourite one was, was in 1989 against... Uh, sorry, 1989. What am I talking about? In 1996, um, very late on... I think in the 90th minute against Newcastle in the FA Cup third round replay at St James's Park, which we eventually went on to win on penalties, um, and you know that that was a that was a, a real moment for us. Yeah, no, he, he, look, he he was wonderful. He he did something magical. He he lit up something really beautiful, and and that whole period for us, it was a it was a magical ride. You know, the players we got over that period of time from him, Viali, all Zola, this, you know, Viali, Zola, Poyet, you know, Di Matteo. We, we never had any asp- glamorous. Yeah, our major aspiration was maybe we could get to a cup final, and then maybe we could win one. No thought about titles and everything. We were still, you know. We didn't dare dream too big. You know, d- dreaming about a cup was big enough. And yeah. and that team, they, 
they will always be heart and soul, 100% the beginning of modern Chelsea for me, without a doubt, before the money came. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Okay, uh, next question's really quick. Uh, Russell asks... How I've got did... one rude Hullet story, just very oh, quickly. Oh, sorry, just of course, very, Andy, go for it. Very quickly. I went to... When uh, Steve Clark had his testimonial, I helped him with some PR work around it, and he invited me to, to a dinner that he was having at the Café Royale in, in London, um, and so I went along and uh, I got in the lift and, and in the lift uh, was Rude Hullet. It was just me and Rude Hullet. And um, he said, uh, is, this, is this the way to, you know, I can't do the accent. You know, is this the way to uh, <laughs> no, Steve Clark's testimonial? And uh, he said, uh, and I said, yeah, it is. I said, but have you got your invite with you? And he went, no, I don't have my invite. And he went, well, they won't let you in, jokingly. I said, well, they were not going to let you in without an invite. And he went, but I am Rude Hullet. <laughs> like, <laughs> deadly seriously, when I am Rude Hullet. And I went, yeah, I know. I know you are. And, uh, but he was just like, why wouldn't they let me in? I am Rude Hullet. <laughs> he was just, just completely straight-faced. Didn't get, didn't get irony at all. No. Oh, Andy and his amazing lift irony. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. Absolutely Listen. love it. All right, moving on from that. That was well worth listening to as well. Uh, Russell asks, how did Phil and I start the pod? Well, it was very simple. Phil was approached to to do a, a podcast about Chelsea. He phoned me up and said, would I be interested in, in uh, doing it with him? And I said, yes. And we messed around. He came up with the name The Chelsea, and that was it. The Chelsea was born. I then uh, put a call out to Andy a little bit down the line and, and got you in, and that's how it is you know phil's now retired from podcasting um because he's a very busy man he's been doing an awful lot of theater productions and film work and what have you and just didn't have time to do it but you know we'll get him back from time to time to come and have a word and you know and he's been you know the stalwart of the side for god knows how many years now it's years isn't it yeah, I'm like Ronnie Wood, aren't I? You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a founder member of the Stones, but I seem to have been there forever. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But now nobody knows any better other than you are the the founding member of the Chelsea as well. So there we go. That's how it is. It's as very simple as that. Somebody has an idea and then you make it happen. Right, mm. we should go for first, worst, and best, which this week is from one of our friends on Twitter who always manages to call me out when I get something wrong, which I do appreciate, by the way, because I actually hate getting facts wrong. So thank you ever so much, and here is Ian Collier's first, worst, and best. My name is Ian Collier, and I'm a season ticket holder in the West Upper, where I've been since the stand was opened some 20 years or so ago. Um, my first match ever was on Christmas Day morning in 1957. Chelsea were home to Portsmouth and my mother wanted uh, my father to get me out of her hair as she prepared for Christmas lunch. He took me very reluctantly along with um, members of his family to the game. Chelsea won the match 7-4, what a start. And Jimmy Greaves, who in my mind was the greatest goal scorer that this country has ever produced, scored four of those goals. I was hooked. Jimmy was indeed the best striker ever. And I was gutted when he signed for Milan for £83,000, which was then, I believe, a world record for a footballer. 
Um, I saw his last game. I had a season ticket then um, in the old North Stand, which used to shake when the trains went by. Chelsea, he was captain for the day. Chelsea drew that game, I believe, 4-4. And guess what? Greaves scored all four goals. At the end of the game, he was chaired off the pitch by the players and supporters to the tune of Exodus over the loudspeakers. I cried that day. My worst ever game was in the 1965 semi-final at Villa Park against Liverpool. The FA Cup those days was as big as the league is today. It was the competition. I used to live locally and I would go along to Wembley Stadium um, on the morning of an FA Cup final by train to Wembley Park and just soak up the atmosphere and maybe buy a programme. It was just the atmosphere I wanted and really I never anticipated Chelsea getting to Wembley. But in 1965 we reached the semi-final and myself and my next door neighbour and our fathers took us to Villa Park. It was a nightmare to get there and a nightmare to get home. Um, we parked miles away from the ground. Um, I remember seeing the Liverpool supporters in their cop coming down and the crowd swaying. I'd never seen anything like that in the whole of my life. Um, the pitch was a quagmire and Chelsea didn't really turn up and lost the game 2-0. Um, it was such an awful journey back. It might have all been different if John Mortimer's headed goal from a corner, which was just in front of me and looked perfect to me, hadn't been ruled out for some sort of infringement, which we never understood. There was no VAR those days. Anyway, that was probably the worst feeling I've ever had after a football match. My best one was the FA Cup final in 1997. Um... I was at Wembley for 19, in 1967. I was at Wembley again in 1970, but not the replay against Old Trafford. I was at Wembley in 1994 when we lost 4-0 to Manchester United. But in 1997, we had a real chance. And, of course, Roberto Di Matteo scored that fabulous goal after only 47 seconds. We went on to win the game. Dennis Wise lifted the cup. And again... I cried. So, Andy, there, there we heard from some some older memories. I mean, wow! Uh, first uh, first game, Christmas Day morning, nineteen fifty seven against. Portsmouth and Jimmy Greaves scores four goals and he cried Amazing. when he left. I mean, Christmas, Christmas Day morning for a football game. You can't imagine that now, can you? Boxing Day. That's it. My wife's birthday's on Christmas Day, so I would never have been allowed to have gone anyway. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, Boxing Day's hard enough. Uh, yeah, it's amazing to think footballers were, oh, football matches were played on Christmas Day, isn't it? Yeah, incredible. I mean, Boxing Day's pretty magical, um, unless you've got to drive I love in. Boxing Day games, I have yeah. to say. It's always, they're always a pain in the ass to get to because there's no transport. But, um, uh, but they're, they're, I love them. They're great. Yeah, no, it's, it's the magic of Christmas because it, it breaks it all up. If you're a football fan, you, you know, because that, that Christmas Day 24-hour period where actually nothing i can't remember anything that has ever happened in the world on christmas day if it's the strangest day and then boxing day it's suddenly 
I can watch football or I can go to football. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I love Christmas. But the, the, the other side of it, Jimmy Greaves, is we forget just how great he was at Chelsea. And he's right. What a shame that he went to Milan. And what's even yeah. more of a shame is that we got we offered him back and we <laughs> said, no, we don't want him. And then he went and scored 9,000 goals for Spurs. I, I mean, know, I know. He'd, he'd have probably yeah, ended up with 400 goals. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. So I uh, sorry. Um, he'd have probably ended up with about 400 goals for Chelsea. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. He, he was just phenomenal. And you feel sorry for him because he gets forgotten about because he should have been the striker in the World Cup final in 66. But, um, yeah. you know, he hasn't had a lot of luck in certain ways and in some ways very underrated unless you saw him. Um, I never did. Uh, and he'd be before your time as well, wasn't he? Yeah, because you're considerably older than me. <laughs> And you're just a child. Um, <laughs> but uh, Amazing that he was going to football match in 1957. I wasn't born until 1965. So. No, I'm 61. So, yeah, it is quite incredible. So thank you, Ian. That was absolutely wonderful. And his last game there, the FA Cup final, 97, which seems to be very popular. And we might have to start banning it from FWB soon. <laughs> no, it's fine. If that, I, I, I'm, I'm all for that. If people bring different perspectives to yeah. that game... That's absolutely fine. I mean, I don't think anybody can bring a different perspective to Munich or Moscow. You know, they are obviously the best and the worst games. I mean, there's just no ways about it, is there? It's very difficult to bring different perspectives to it. But I think people can bring all sorts of different perspectives to that 97 final. So I don't have so much of a problem with that. No, that's cool. And he says, uh, again, like his first game against Portsmouth, he cried. Have you ever cried at football? I think I have. I mean, I cried. I cried with joy at Munich. Yeah, that's all right. Crying is allowed. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I, I definitely. I had. A, I had a very emotional moment when Drogba's penalty went in. Yeah. yeah, absolutely lost it completely, and I was surrounded by people crying. And I remember there being a woman there on the on you know who's obviously a guest of someone who was you know in in, in our end on her phone going, "I'm just surrounded by blokes crying." <laughs> you know, I was always always stuck in my head, you know, as everybody was just like in tears. I mean, I think that's the only time. I don't tend to cry because I'm upset. You know, uh and you know, I, I I tears of joy, only that once, I think. How about you? I know yeah. your wife cries all the time. Yeah, Jackie cries a lot, but you know, that's good. It's a it's an emotive game. Um I, I would agree with you, definitely Champions League. I can't think of other occasions, but there's been a few times at the bridge, again, usually evening games, there's something I think I may have had a, a tear or two against Barcelona, the big win um against Barcelona. Liverpool, I'm, I think, not really, not the same as as the Champions League. That just was something else. So yeah, yeah I, I maybe actually no. I tell you when the the first year we won the title, and and we yes. were at the bridge um, celebrating. I um, mean moments, you know, when there's been moments, you know, Frank, you know, Frank Lampard's retiring, John Terry retiring, Zola, you know, those, those moments, you know, when you think this is the last time. I'm going to see this player on this pitch, you know, in a competitive game for Chelsea. I, that, that, they, you know, I've had definitely had something in my eye at those moments. Um, and you know, when you've, when we've, when we've won things there, when we've lifted trophies there, or 
celebrated huge wins. I've I've had lumps in the throat, but you know, proper full on blubbing. I think only Munich for me. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, look, we're just about out of time, and so that should be it from us, crybabies. Um, do you want to give everyone the details as usual, um, where they can oh, catch up with us? See if you can do it. <laughs> okay. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Chelsea Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at The Chelsea Podcast. If you want to follow me, you can follow at Mr. A. Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, it's at Kerry Levy, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. And on Instagram, you're uh, Kerry Levy 1. Yes, correct. Yeah, brilliant. That's everything. Yeah, do follow us. And, you know, if you have any questions you want to ask or feedback or anything, you know, uh, if if you want to tell us how crap we are, perhaps keep that to yourselves. But generally (laughs) positive feedback, very welcome. All right. Well, thanks, Andy, as ever. And thanks to all of you out there. And hopefully next week we'll be back and we'll have three points in the bag. Cheers, everyone. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.